coaches, welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. What are we on now? Let me see, can I count? We're on podcast number 28 and this podcast is all about what does it take to be an extraordinary coach? And we've got a bumper edition for you today. I'm going to be speaking with embodiment expert Mark Walsh. And this conversation was a lot of fun. It's a bumper edition because we put two of our conversations together. So part one and part two. And in the first part, we're going to be exploring the practical application of embodiment in coaching. And Mark coaches me using his four elements technique. And Mark also shares his his version of centering. And if you don't know what centering is, I think you should. It's a really critical practice in these times. In part two, which you can find at the 56 minute mark, we're going to explore the question, what is embodiment on a broader scale? So Mark waxes lyrical about all things embodiment, including its history, the different schools and the new waves of embodiment teachings that are emerging in these times. So who's Mark Walsh? Well, let me take a quick look at his bio. He's done extensive training and facilitation around the world with people like L'Oreal, Shell, Ikea, the Natural History Museum, the House of Lords. Wow, they could use some embodiment. Uh, And he's had 20 plus years of Aikido training on five continents. There's a, there's a, this guy is, knows a lot about embodiment. And what I know of Mark is he is, incredibly passionate about his work, fiercely passionate, and I respect that deeply. And I think that shines through in our conversation. Mark is also hosting the Embodiment Conference. I think that's the 13th to the 20-something of November this year, if you're listening to that this podcast as it comes out. And that's going to be free for a week. So uh, it's got some really awesome people. And check that out if you put in Embodiment Conference into Google. I'm sure you'll find it there. I would love it if you would share this podcast and any others you've been inspired by. If you would leave a rating in iTunes, I just want to get the word out to as many coaches as possible. Without further ado, let's dive in. Mr. Walsh. Back again. (laughs) Here you are. Here you are. Um, Yeah. So uh, here we are again. And the idea today is that we're going to dive into some uh, practical applications of the work that you do. Um, You you know, we were chatting back and forth and you said, why don't I just share a bunch of the, the things that I share with the coaches that I train that are super practical and they can use in their, in their work. So let's do that. And I know this isn't going to be too many like tips and tricks because they, they can be, you know, we're not really about that, but where would we, where, where do we start? Yeah. I'm going to hand over to yeah. you. Yeah. So for me, sometimes I read a book on embodiment or I listen to a podcast. I'm like, Oh wow, that's cool. That's, that's exciting. That's inspiring. But what, what do I actually bloody do? You know, like what's the, the nuts and bolts of it. Um, so let's, let's go into that today. And, you know, in a way I want to start um, with the, the coach, my sense is, yep, there's tricks and tips. We can learn those. And I want to give some hacks and some tools today. But the real foundation of embodied coaching is the person someone is, their being, right? Um, so when I'm working with coaches, the first thing we're doing is helping them establish a personal practice. There's a slightly strange situation today when there's people running around doing embodied coaching who don't have an embodied practice. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the practice 
the coach has is building their being, but also what I would call their micro skills. So the, the nuts and bolts kind of um, mindfulness skills that are making up, um, that are helping them be effective in any techniques that they teach. So for example, to be aware of one's own breath, you know, you maybe you have a meditation practice, you're meditating on your breath every morning. Well, that can translate quite nicely into noticing when there's a pause in my breath when I'm coaching someone and being, okay, I'm curious about that. What might that be about? Um, certainly some kind of movement practice, you know, whether it's yoga or martial arts. And w one way I'm helping coaches, I'm saying, listen, just get any kind of practice, just fall in love, do something. Any body awareness practice is going to up your game in coaching. It's going to bring that level of body awareness, maybe self-regulation. These are two of the main skills. And if it's relational, the other two sets of skills, the, the social awareness and the social influence, let's say you're doing a tango, for example, um, which is going to translate, particularly if we make some linking practices into coaching. So one way I say is just do something. Another way is helping coaches be a bit more specific as to what's the embodiment they want to build. So maybe as a coach, you find yourself a little bit um, rigid and it's like, okay, in our model, we'd say that's kind of earthy. And then we'd say, okay, let's, let's send you off to comedy improv to learn some airy skills. Or maybe you're very watery and open and empathic and that's beautiful. But then it's like, okay, what about your fiery side? So we send you off to kendo or karate to learn some fieriness. Um, so this is the first thing I'd point coaches to is to, a, get some kind of embodied practice plus some kind of meditative practice. That could be 10 minutes meditation a day and, you know, a few hours a week of movement practice. And then B, start to tweak that based upon their type. Can I just ask you about that then? Because, so presumably, yeah, there are like a bunch of coaches out there who are doing embodied work who don't know, uh, they yep. don't have an embodied life, so to speak. I mean, yep. of course, we're all embodied and <laughs> yep. how could we not have an embodied life? But we're unconsciously embodied. Right. So, so exactly what you just said there, I think, is where my question is going. So what, these, what the practice is doing is sensitizing ourselves in, in our embodiment in ways that then inform what we see in our coaching clients. Yeah, so it's building a concrete set of skills specifically is how I like to look at it. So um, the skill of self-awareness, for example, like we're all unconsciously embodied in that we have a set of habitual patterns that live through the body and create how we are on an unconscious basis. You know, like um, I was listening to someone talk yesterday and I've heard this guy talk a lot of times and he says he was saying the same thing he always says because he's got the same embodiment he's always got. And he'll rationalize it like, oh, this is why I think this, but actually it's just coming out of his habitual embodiment and until he shifts that and we'll look at this with coaching tools later then it's very he's just going to keep thinking saying and having the same kind of relationships however as coaches if we're working with the body there's a, a becoming aware of ourselves is the key first thing right like um someone was one of my students was asking me about patience the other day and i just said yesterday actually i just said you know what that's really not my strength you know like there's a self-awareness there of like i'm aware of how that is generally in my life but also in my body it's like okay maybe i'm coming forwards a lot um so i'm aware of when i lose some of that patience in the moment um uh, the body awareness is a skill it's a muscle that, that is built through practice and then that is the basis of the other skills so body awareness self-regulation let's say observing a body empathically resonating with the body that's something you can get better at like my brother-in-law, the scientist who spends his life looking, you know, at a computer and down a, down a micro, God love him, he's a great guy, but he's not practicing that on a daily basis, you know? So that when he needs that in his marriage or his friendships or whatever, that skill is not there. 
And as coaches, there's these, these, these four skill sets we, we definitely need. And a regular embodied practice is the way to build them. You know, we don't, as coaches, necessarily need to be Kung Fu masters or athletic dancers. You know, you don't have to be a swan, is what one of my teachers says. Um, in meaning you have to be graceful or athletic. But doing something on a regular basis, I'd say there's an integrity piece there. And also just a very practical, like, hey, all these techniques I'm about to go through with you are based on a set of skills. And those skills are built through your own embodied practice. Excellent. Love it. So um, we could dive into some of the tools and uh, yeah. maybe you mentioned some hacks as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with the hacks and then go to the tools and then finish with the principles. Cause we'll go to sort of increasing depth with it. Right. So if I'm working with coaches, like on a one day introduction course, I say, you know what, just get your client to stand up, just walk around with them, do coaching in a different position than bloody sitting in a chair, you know, like I'll teach him body coaching for a day. I'll say, right, everyone go practice the technique and everyone will sit down. And it's like, well, who said you had to sit down? You know, who said you couldn't walk around? You know, so some of the hacks, the simple hacks would just be like, you know, moving a little or doing coaching from different positions. And then we have pointing the client back to their own body awareness. I was coaching someone about a week ago and I just said, hey, what happens in your body when you say that? That was the only embodied technique I used in that coaching session. It was the only one that was necessary. This client was like, shit, this happened and this happened and this happened. You know, he had enough self-awareness himself to notice a lot. But it was a business guy. It wasn't an embodiment person. And um, just pointing people back to their body awareness, saying, saying, hey, what's going on? Or, or maybe a bit more directive, like what happens in your jaw uh, when you talk about that person, Mark? You know, like my jaw, oh, my jaw's tightening. Okay, feels like I'm getting aggressive here, you know. Um, or it might be, um, hey, do you mind if I sit how you're sitting now? So, okay. You know, you're sitting in a certain way when you tell me this, can I, you know, with respect, with trust, can I show you how you're sitting just to give you that feedback? Or I might say, hey, try these two positions, which feels most familiar. So there's a familiarity principle here at work where they go, yeah, I tend to be on the balls of my feet, not the heels, or I tend to be big and expansive and not small and contained. Um, so there I'd say there's sort of simple awareness raising things you can do with a client, which... I really don't underestimate those like just saying to people like how do you feel or what's going on in your body or I like to frame it as what are you doing in your body now because it brings responsibility back to the client mm. so they're not like oh my body is just happening it's because from the frame of I'm doing this you can do something else right and just a question about that because I, I love asking that question too and often yeah. I find people are like either the answer with a, th a thought yeah, yeah so I'm can't think of an example but they don't really actually describe what's happening in their sure. body and they're not really a, they need help to actually yeah. locate in their body yeah so first i think the first help we do is by feeling our own body and by being embodied as a coach because <laughs> that's kind of creating a kind of field of normality around that and uh, it's subtly encouraging it in other people and um, the next thing we can do is actually make it more specific so they'll say i freak out and I'll say, well, where do you freak out? Do you freak out in your left earlobe or your right big toe? Because sometimes they'll say everywhere, you know. Or I'll say, well, how do you freak out? You know, like, well, what are you doing to freak out? Or I might say, so when you freak out, what, what, what do you do with your belly? Or, you know, often the breathing is helpful, right? Like, it's like, oh, I'm holding my breath. Like, even someone who's pretty disconnected to themselves or, you know, I'm tensing my shoulders. Or um, I had one the other day, the client was just sort of like turning around, like quite like 90 degrees it was like okay so so i'm noticing you're facing the other wall now like that's interesting huh and they're like yeah maybe i'm trying to run away i'm like okay great you made the link you know like their body was literally turning away from the question 
Um, so yes, there's a, a, it's wonderful when you have a client who has this refined, subtle noticing of, you know, um, um, I don't know, like I, I, my blink rate increased 20% when we discussed that. You know, this is one of the things I'm tracking, for example, uh, with a client is their blink rate. Um, we have my breathing changed subtly. And actually another barrier is actually sort of more new agey people who say, they'll say, oh, my energy did this or that. And I'll say, okay, but what specifically did you do? Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Is that your attention, your intention? Is it attention level in the muscles? Is this something we can actually work with, right? So um, helping people get specific, what Paul Linden calls operational language uh, is, is helpful in there. And the, the whole thing of being in that frame of self, being present to it yourself, uh, and just making it more crude and more obvious if need be. You know, are you X or Y? So which are you doing right now? Are you, are you opening or closing? It's like, okay, yeah, I'm closing. Nice. Is that helpful? Yeah, super helpful, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So there's the hacks, right? And the basic awareness raising, the just getting moving with our client. And then there's you know different techniques we may use and there's different levels of um, uh, kind of complexity here. I mean, if we start first of all with the coach, you can coach from different embodiments yourself. So you have a more long-term disposition, but we can step into or out of different embodiments. So that might just be like centering yourself before a coaching session, for example. I would do that before an interview as well, for example. Um, so it might be something as simple as like ABC centering for yourself as a coach before you start working with the client, like aware, balance, core, relax. So it's like feeling my body, balancing my posture a little bit, balancing my awareness and relaxing my core my eyes, my mouth, my belly. And then it's like, I'm a bit less in that fight flight mode. I might've been in answering a difficult email before I start teaching the client. And then if we want to be a little bit more granular, we could shift our embodiment, say using a model like the four elements. This is just a model. So let's take a coaching question. Like, what do you want to get from today's session? Pretty classic coaching opener. Is that uh, fair to say? Absolutely. So where do you, you know, what's the embodiment you're in when you ask that? Is it, what do you want to get from today's session? Is it, so what do you want to get from today's session? Is it, okay, Joel, what do you want to get from today's session? Or is it, okay, today we can do anything. What do you want to get? Like, I'm exaggerating a little bit to make it obvious on the audio and I'm going to acting slightly rather than embodiment, which just to make it more obvious, but that was like four different elements. It's just a model. You can have five elements or 26, whatever. So coaching from those different places is going to be helpful with different clients to match them, depending on where the coaching's at. You know, sometimes the client needs deep empathy and receptivity and other times they need to kick in the ass. Sometimes they need fun and lightness and other times the client's needing, you know, some structure, some containment, some planning. And as a coach, if I can't move between modes and again we use for elements as other models then i'm not best able to serve my client i'm just stuck in the habitual hammer that sees everything as a nail right mm. um no, no matter how good a coach you are <laughs> yeah yeah no totally I, I love that um you said balancing awareness i think i know what you mean by that but could you just say you said when you're centering you balance you balance your awareness yeah thank you i rushed that a little bit so um let's all put that in operational language. So be aware that you're in a room with four walls, a floor and a ceiling. Mm. Right. Or you could visualize a bubble uh, expanding evenly in all directions. Mm. Or you could visualize light shining out evenly 
from the center of your body in all directions. So Can I ask in for different people, but that's yeah. a kind of expansive quality of because our awareness will contract usually in the front or around another direction. And can I ask what benefit that brings? I mean, I'm just playing with that now. And I how is it for you now? What 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 are you noticing now as you do it? Um, I feel that I um, it's funny. My body's naturally extending a little bit, like yeah. my spine's straightening. Um, everything gets a bit more vibrant, um, and I'm uh, more sensitive. Okay, that sounds like it might be useful as a coach. I think that could be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so, like, I mean, what I just did with you there is like your body coaching, right? I'm not just telling you something, I'm asking you to notice your experience. And actually, this is maybe, it's profoundly the ethical base of coaching as I see it and embodiment that we bring people back to their own authority. So rather than say, hey, Joel, you know, I'm the expert here, you know, come on, believe me. I'm saying, okay, we'll try it. And what did you notice? And you start to notice some things that may be useful for you. And then, you know, I'm not in this model of like fixing broken people. I'm in the model of giving people range and choice. So awareness, range and choice. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, now I have this choice that I can do this little technique and actually alter my being slightly. Um, you know, for me that when I find myself getting core contracted, that, little visualization of the shining star or they're just being aware of the walls around me in the room. Um, Wendy Palmer talks about the space, you know, there's different models of this. Paul has his version. Uh, I find that very helpful for getting unhooked from maybe I'm hooked with a coaching client's thing. I'm trying to do the thing. I'm trying to fix their problem. And it's like, ah, relax, breathe, expand, unhook. Um, so even if, you know, I trained some coaches in Hong Kong and one coach says, listen, Mark, I work in a big bank in Hong Kong. There's no way I can do all this hippie you know, techniques. So I said, okay, so just do it yourself. You know, like you, as a coach, you can still be doing this stuff, whether it's the centering, whether it's the body awareness, tracking your own awareness throughout the session. Like, oh, I'm noticing I'm contracting during, you know, as, as that client says that, maybe that's going to change the question I ask next. Um, and also this elemental mix. I think it's useful to have uh, some kind of a map of shifting being, like at first, if we just work working with awareness, it's great, but having a little map. So like I can go, and I was doing this with my team. I'm doing a training starting tomorrow for five days. And we went through our kind of elemental mix as trainers. And it was like, oh, we're, we're actually lacking a bit of fire here. We've got a really watery, airy team that could cause these problems uh, as a group of coaches uh, facilitating. So um, yeah, there's many, many uses for that, but it's certainly useful to have a map. And then the next thing is we can bring these to the client, right? So you can do centering with the client. Like, what do you want to get out of today's session? In fact, hang on a minute. You sound stressed, man. Have you had a busy day? Okay. So before you give me 10 minutes of bullshit, that's not going to help anyone. Let's breathe. And it might be as simple as saying, John, put your feet on the ground. Take a breath. Notice your body. How are you doing? I'm centering with them to encourage them, you know, through the phone or the Skype or in person, whatever it is. And then I say, okay, what's really important to Jake Joe? What do you really want to look at? And sometimes we do a before and after on that. You're too centered now for me to demonstrate with you, unfortunately. But when someone comes in kind of all over the place, I'll say, okay, what do you think about um, your problem with the manager? What do you think about the new marketing plan? And they say, blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, okay, now breathe, do this, do that. I might not even call it centering, just some simple things, you know? And then I'll say, okay, tell me again what the challenge is. And I'll say, oh, it's my communication. It's like an entirely different mm. level, like an entirely different cut on the challenge they were looking at just by reducing that fight, flight, freeze response a little bit. 
I mean, I would just add to say, I think what you're saying now is an, an imperative for, for most people these days, because people are so caught in a kind of um, the hamster wheel, you know, with all these kind of cortisols firing away. And, um, you know, we know how much that impacts the way we see the world. And so absolutely, what, what an, if they just got that thing from coaching, it would be tremendously oh, life-changing huge i've taught coaches on various courses like newfield and stuff and a lot of the coaches said it's centering is just changing my clients lives just that piece and there are really good embodiment teachers who just teach centering so i you know, really recommend that as a pretty quick win for people um i'd say to coaches you do need to be practicing it in your own life again the integrity piece um and you know me included right like, like i had a busy office day yesterday and I'm running around and I, you know, I booked a massage in to sort of like break my day up a little bit and just take care of myself because I'm a bit run down. I've been rusher and I'm kind of feeling a bit tired. So I booked a massage in and I found myself like rushing to the massage, you know, and I went, well, hang on a minute. This is insane. And even as an embodiment teacher, it was just like, just walk a bit slower. You'll be one minute late for the massage. It's your time anyway. It's cool. You know, like no big deal. And I'm thinking, if I need to remind myself that as someone with 20 years of Aikido as a full-time embodiment teacher, then it's, you know, it's really tricky for my sister or, you know, John in the street or whoever. So um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's gone from a luxury to a sort of survival skill in the modern age. Could, could I invite you to guide everybody listening now into a 30 second centering? Sure. No problem. So we'll do uh, ABC again. Take it down a little bit. So I invite everyone to sit in an upright position or stand if you're standing with their eyes open, their eyes open. So finding your feet flat on the floor and scanning your body briefly. So no special technique, first of all, just noticing your body. Sensations, tensions, whatever's there. Up and down. Now, B is balance, bringing your body into a little bit more physical balance, first of all. So you might rock left and right, front and back, see if you can find something a little bit more of a midpoint, finding a little bit more structure and stability. Mm. And balancing your awareness, so being aware all around you, the four walls, the floor and the ceiling, if you have them. Visualization, perhaps, if that helps, like the expanding sphere or the star. And core relaxation. So relaxing the eyes, your vision's a little bit more peripheral. The tongue, the mouth, the jaws soft in the mouth. The belly right down to the lower abdominals. Could also remind yourself here, what are you committed to? Or perhaps a little social centering, bringing to mind someone that you care about, cares about you, someone who makes you smile. And if you're with people, you can actually look at them. So I'm looking at my friend Joel on the screen. I like him, he's a good guy. I'm having some pleasant warm sense just looking at him. This in itself is centering actually, is using the social engagement system to get out of fight or flight. You can do that in your imagination, or in this case, there's someone you know, in front of me. That's a little bit of a, the last bit's a little bit of a unique one, the social centering. So um, yeah, they're the pieces of it, working with concrete tools, structure, imagination, breathing, you know, there's more we could do, add there, and then the sort of meaning-based centering, like, um, you know, Strozzi stuff, what am I committed to this, you know, for the sake of what? And then um, uh, social centering, kind of using the social engagement system to 
which is there's lots of ways to do that. It might be like looking for what do I have in common with a group of trainees who are maybe you know a little tricky, or um, looking for how I belong. Um, yeah, looking for that connection. It might be like your one friend who's in the group that you're training. It might be, you know, if you find yourself in that situation where it's like, oh, I have a lot different from this, you know, they're Russian and I'm English and they're women and I'm a man. It's like, yeah, I'm looking for that humanity. Like, yeah, but we're both human. We're both going to die. You know, we both want to be happy. Mm-hmm. So that can bring in that sort of social engagement system um, nicely. How's that? That's great. That's really nice. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. Yeah, so, so every time I said it myself, I'm like, what a gift, huh? What a gift. Oh, totally. Yeah. I do. As I'm doing the client, I'm like, I'm getting paid to do this. Most <laughs> yeah. yeah. So centering is, I'd say, not to be underestimated for yourself as a coach and with the client. We talked about the four elements before. Mm. Uh, do you want to do a little brainstorming with that? So like, this is one of the, I invited sure. you before we um, yep. went online to say, hey, do you want to do like something live? It's like not too exposing. So it's not like the deepest technique I'll ever do, but it's kind of practical. And I think you might like it and coaches listening might like it. I, I, have, what, I have a topic. Great. So tell me, take as long as you want, but tell me in one sentence what this topic is. It should be something not existential or traumatic, something just quite practical. How can I prioritize uh, the work that I have, the increasing workload, uh, coaching and coaches rising? Lots of great work to do, but, um, you know, I need to prioritize my work. Great. Okay. So I'm going to... take you through four different embodiments and people won't be able to see this but they'll, they'll hear my guidance if they want to see videos there's loads of videos of me doing this on youtube as well uh, four elements coaching and none of them these are your committees so we're not going to show the whole coaching process just the brainstorming part mm-hmm. and then there might be something at the end that you jot down to sort of look at later or talk to your coach about or dance about later or write about later but no commitment here it's literally just getting new ideas getting ideas out and we'll go through four modes being, and some of them will be familiar, some of them will be less familiar. And, um, you know, we'll see what, see what ideas come up. Right. Challenge one, one more time. Uh, prioritizing what is most important uh, in the increasing workload that I have. Okay, great. Are you up for this now? You know, what you know, we know what's on offer a little bit more. So <laughs> double check you're still up for this. Consent's really important. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's do earth, first of all. So find your feet on the ground. I normally start with business people with this one because it's the least kind of ridiculous. And um, feel your butt in the chair. So you're finding the places where your body contacts the floor in the chair. And see if you can structure your body a little squarer, a little uh, more structured and bring your attention down. Mm. Okay, what structures do you need to make this decision? Uh, I need to simply sit down and actually kind of draw out everything I have on, the amount of time I have and and be and the clarity of commitment you know what what's most important to me be clear about that and then and then it's quite simple from there i can take the next step and make some decisions great so you could really make some structures around this there's some kind of you know excel spreadsheet type thing where you look at it how many hours ranking things perhaps um, getting organized around it yeah any any other ways you could get organized around this Keep, keep that attention down It's um, 
yeah, it's a feeling I'm getting and it's a feeling of, of, um, discipline or, um, commitment, that kind of feeling. It's like, just do it like okay. with this energy, actually just do it. Great. Sounds like we need to go to fire. So we'll get there. And then just doing is the fiery part. And then there's also some just doing the organizing or the planning. Um, if I was actually coaching you more live, I'd, I'd probably just go straight to that. But just for the sake of the demo, um, feel your back on the chair or feel your back or whatever you can feel. Yeah. Is there a sort of traditional way of doing this? Is there a, mm, what's the right way to do this job? Mm. The right way would be uh, to, to in a way do what I just said, like to, to actually be diligent, to sit down, map it all out, and then uh, make some decisions, and um, and then it's all, and then stick to those decisions. Okay, got it. So map it out, make the decisions, stick to them. Sounds very logical from this embodiment. That's completely obvious, right? It's mm -hmm. completely like, oh, well, of course, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, have a little shake, have a little wriggle. We might have done all the work you need, by the way. Sometimes people would nail it on the first one, but just for the yeah. demo, let's do all four. Um, so relax into your chair, open your hands. Say, ah. Ah. So hands to the side, relaxed, relaxed. Lower down, lower down. Softening the jaw, softening the peripheral vision. Softening the belly. Say, ah. Ah. Really let it out. Like, ah. Like, ah. 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 Okay, spine soft, concave, and a little bit of movement in the hips, maybe feeling that lower half of the body, but with a little movement now, still staying pretty low. Yeah. And raise your arms up a little bit, so sort of head height. And then I just want you to let go of the arms, if you're up for that. And so you just lowered your arms. So I'm up again, if I was standing there, I feel your deltoids now. And now, ah. Ah, okay, that's nice. It's like one more time, one more time. This time, we're going to use the ancient mantra, fuck it. Fuck it. Okay, what do you need to let go of around this? <laughs> um, actually, um, first thing that came up was it being a problem. Okay. There's a way that I... I, I get a little bit, make it a problem. And then it's like, mm. and then the energy gets stuck in it. Yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, it's not, a, not a problem. It's actually, um, a real gift in a sense, you know, yeah. like to have all letting this go. amazing work, letting go of it being a problem. Yeah. Like, okay, I can still do something about this. I can still alter my behavior and my structures or whatever, but I don't have to view this as a problem, right? Like, like, oh, I've got too much work, you know? Like, yeah. I've got too many opportunities and cool people who want to speak to me, you know? Yeah. But let's do one more on the waterfront because most elements have a couple of aspects. So this time, open out. Yeah. yeah that's nice. <sighs> You're opening the body as much as you can. Without just a receptive quality, whatever that means to you in the body. And who could you reach out to around this? Who could you get advice from or connect with? Like in your, you know, what, what people might be um, useful to connect with around this issue? Uh, first question, the first thing that came to mind was my men's group. Hmm. 
yeah, sometimes people have problems and they forget to ask for help. You know, they forget. They're just in an embodiment, which isn't open and accessible to relationship. And then, you know, I've heard people turn around and say, I could ask my wife. She's an expert in this, you know. Yeah. Anyone else? Just while we're here, with this fluidity. Find the fluidity. If you're standing up, I'd have you sort of moving around a little bit. So a little bit of fluidity. Um, my business partner. Okay. So another person you could connect with around this. Yeah. And anything else from the fluid side? Anything else your sort of fluid, slinky, lubricated otter body wants to say? I think that I think that's it. I'm getting another feeling, but it's hard to put into words. But it, it's a sense of possibility. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, but I don't. I don't have much more than that. Okay, we could go into a whole nother coaching tool around that feeling, but let's let's keep keep with this for now, just for the demo. And if you're willing to give yourself a little shake and a little wriggle, <sighs> if any of these, by the way, like feel too much, feel free to stop at any point. Sometimes sure. fire and air, particularly, so feel free to be like, "Nah, it's, you know." It's quite striking how much they feel. They're different, huh? They're different. Yeah. <laughs> it's like shit, a whole new possibility. So this time, fire. So put one foot forward slightly in the chair, um, tilt your pelvis so you're kind of leaning forward slightly. Focus your vision straight ahead and feel your musculature. So you might tense your muscles a little bit or just look straight ahead. So it's got a kind of penetrative quality to it. Okay. So um, what do you, from this point of view, what do you need to do around this job? What do you need to do? Well, it's just do it. Like this is that just do it energy. Yep. Um, um, <laughs> literally attack it. Like that yeah. was the word that came up. Let's just attack it. So how would it be to attack this? Like what would that be like to attack this? Yeah, it's um, it's actually almost like now the feeling is it's not too much work. It's just yeah. Um, yeah. It's just work. It. Growl. <clears throat> yeah, don't go into humor. That's your escape. Don't go into humor. Give it a little like, right. Because this is serious shit in a way, right? It's yeah. like, like, come on, this is your actual fucking life, mate. Yeah? yeah. This is an energy that I need more of. And yeah. this, um, I'm glad you caught me the energy thing there, uh, the, the humor thing. Yeah, because yeah. now it's like, it's not just do it like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to do more and more work because that's what I can do. It's like, no, do the work. Yeah. Put the your work. hand forward. I like what you're doing with your hand there. Listeners can't see Joel's moving his hand up down. Put your other hand underneath it. Make yeah. like a chopping board. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the work? What do you need to do? Be specific now. Stop thinking about it. Tell me what um, you need to do. Well, the work is to, um, is to, live my purpose to create content around my purpose, which I'm really stepping into on a new just level. Thinking again, go back into the fire. That's the other side of our thinking. So in it, like what do you just need to fucking get on with? Tell me one thing you could do. Writing. Okay. Got it. Okay. The next part of fire, hands on the chest, back bend, uh, back bend. Ah, <sighs> away from the heart, like the flames. Where's the passion in this? Where's the fuck yeah? Where's the juice? Where's the uh, like real rah in this? Ah. Like head back, orgasmy, rah, kind of. It's not very really British, I know. Ah, where's the passion in ah. this? What, what's passion have to say about this? Passion says like, hell yes. <laughs> so um, what passion says is there's a bunch of this work that actually I'm hell yes to. Yeah. And um, there's some of it that I'm not hell yes to. Yeah. And so how can I delegate that? 
that's what passion says it's like, what turns you on what has that passion and what you need to delegate that isn't your thing like, like yeah. i don't edit my podcast because there isn't a passion there for me i love right. the podcast but not the editing i go i feel it in my body meh, as opposed to ah and i go ah fuck that get someone else to do it right yeah, yeah. cool yeah Good. That's really good. <laughs> like that Cultural one. I like that one. Some kind of cultures struggle with that one, including many English and Scottish. Um, okay, bit of air. This is the hardest one to do sitting down, but if we're your mic, I don't think you can stand up, right? I could stand up, I think. Yeah. You're if able, I do this, yeah, you're able to stand up. Hear me, all right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the one where you can have as much fun and as much silliness as you like. Put your hands up in the air. I want you to look up, and I want you to tickle God's testicles. Okay. Can you do that for me? We have to edit this bit out, maybe. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so, that's it. Allow yourself to smile. Keep moving your hands. Come off your heels. Come off your heels. Uh, yeah. And, you, and allow yourself problem. to move a little bit. So it's like you're, like the hands are like, wow, like waving, moving, creative, like up in the air. Make shapes with your hands. Make a noise, Joel. Give me a funny noise. Make a noise. Any noise. <sighs> Make a silly noise. Go on. There we go. Great. So from this point of view, like, what's the creative side of this? How can you be creative around this challenge? Uh, um, keep moving. Keep moving. How can you be creative? Keep moving the hands. What's a new or creative way of looking at this? Um, uh, shit, I can't think. Don't can't make think. me raspberry your belly button, Joel. Um, there's, there's space, like, I'm in touch with space. But, space, um, okay, let's go there. Put your fingers together, put your fingers together. Yeah. And then like this, yeah, so, and then spread them out wide and say, wow. Wow. So let's get a bit Californian about this. Say, wow. Wow. Where's there space around this? Um, what's coming up now is, is, maybe this is too literal, but fuck it, it's what comes up. It's, it's creating the space creating more space you know actually i don't want to be working all the time right um i want to create the space nice. cre creating the space gives me the space to uh focus on what you know to to be creative yes like, creativity nice. comes through when there's space nice and um uh, and that fuels me doing the work that i felt before in fire you know like the passion yeah like it's, yeah, yeah yeah i can see how they link together Great. And if you can sit down now, if you're like, so from one part of week, if we had a five element model, we'd actually be using space as one of the elements of void. Um, just the last bit on the silliness. Could you, if you're willing, take your little finger, no one can see, and just stick it up your nose if you're willing. Okay. And go, uh, okay. You're currently having your finger up your nose in a coaching session. So um, what, what is silly about this, Joel? What is silly about this whole situation? Uh, <laughs> um... <laughs> well i think i don't know if i'm going to repeat myself but it's yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's cool. the feeling of that it's naturally a, a problem you know right it's, it's kind of problem. ridiculous you're like mark i have this problem there's too much opportunities and cool stuff in my life yeah like come on we can laugh at ourselves with this one yeah. i think and that because when i'm when it becomes a problem i just get tight and then it's not yeah. fun and then it's like a de decreasing spiral so if i'm like oh it, it, this is great and i'm in choice it's fun and then yeah. Yeah. I'm playful and I do it. I do the right. work. So being in choice is fun and playful, not being a prisoner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Shit. That was like 10, 15 minutes, maybe 15 minutes max. So we did a lot there. <laughs> we take a breath, <laughs> land. Just poof. I'm aware the audience might be thinking, God, this bit unconventional. This, I do way worse things than that, by the way. Sometimes I'm picking people up, licking them, all with permission. 
um, I had a karate guy I was doing this with in Russia and for fire, I was just beating on him with my fists, you know? And it's like, cause that's what he, can, he likes doing. So it's like, there's loads of ways to do this. So I don't want anyone to feel like this is the method, you, you know, uh, you know, 0 0.7.0, stick a finger up nose. It's just spontaneous. And the questions are also spontaneous. So I'm entering into the embodiment myself and the questions are coming from that. Uh, do you have one that you want to kind of take away or consider for later? Like you might want to write down or like, is there one insight there that you thought actually that was really helpful? I want to make sure I remember that. Um, um, there's a, there's a, actually several, but the, yeah. um, when was it? It's like that feeling of connecting to the passion in the fire yeah. Yeah. and then um, uh, doing the work. I think the yeah. fire one, um, was was like really uh, that sticks out for me, but I like them all actually. But that fight, like <laughs> do the work, like yeah, like the work, the work, and that kind of came up early when we did Earth. It quickly shifted to fire. So if I was working more organically, more realistically, I probably would have gone straight to fire there because your body was suggesting that. You know, I just wanted to show a sequence for the demo. Um, but yeah, for me, that you know, I might work with you now as a coach on designing a practice to be more fiery as well. Yeah. Like, like little micro practices through the day or how you're walking to work or something bigger, you know, like you might, if you're really in a place where you're like, I want to change my life, we might look at, okay, what's a martial art you can take up or what's a fiery dance form, you know, so designing a practice would be a, a key thing I do with clients. So there's the technique, which is the brainstorming, right? And I'm doing my side and you're doing your side. And then there's, okay, a bit deeper than that. What are the things we want to help the client embody long-term? So yeah, it's a nice trick to be able to, I think, you know, in 10 minutes or 12 minutes, we went through some pretty, a lot of options, right? Like it's pretty generative. Mm. Uh, but then there's also a bit deeper cut, like, hey, is the lack of fire causing you a problem in your life or whatever it is? A couple of questions I have about yep. this, if you mind. Please. One is about practice, like these micro practices, but I want to ask that one second. Just the yep. first one is, you know, what's happening when you're doing these shifts? So um, is it that... Uh, you know, you're, you're getting people into the felt sense, the embodiment of that energy, which then creates new, uh, a new kind of possibility or experience. Yeah, that's one way of saying it. I mean, you people are in a habitual embodiment, which is limiting their perception, cognition, relation, etc. And then we just shift them into something else. And we're just doing it relatively systematically. I mean, in embodied yoga, we have 26 positions. So it's a lot more specific, you know, and there I was doing a couple between each element, kind of the receptive and the letting go uh, part of water, for example. Um, so we just help people shift into a new way of being, which is giving them new possibilities. And often, I don't know how you found it, but please tell us, but often I find people quite quickly go, wow, I never thought of that. Or, wow, I've been thinking about this problem for five years and not once have I thought of that. And that was so quick. So it's, it's just very quickly giving them new felt a uh, new uh, substrate, a new embodiment for, for new possibilities. Mm, nice. So, so the practice part, then you would say, okay, fire, like with, in my case, you know, fire, it seems yeah. like you, you, you yeah. need a bit more fire. Uh, you could take up a martial arts or something that would be a, a very, a, a constant discipline of developing fire, but these micro practices that caught yeah. my attention. Yeah. Yeah. Cause for some of my corporate clients, the idea of like going off to karate twice a week is just too big an ask. You know, um, and even though they might get it at some point, they'll often go, you know what, I really want to shift. And that's what they'll get to what we call a macro practice. But then let's look at other possibilities. So um, Ginny Whitelaw is really good on practice, by the way, um, for those that want more resources on this. 
Um, for example, it could be most people I know have a small walk in their day. Let's say it's from the tube station to the office where you can walk in a more fiery way. And that's every day, five minutes. Mm. And I say, not only will that um, not take time, it will save you time. Right. So it's like for the busy client, that's pretty cool. Um, it could be a little uh, postural practice, like standing or sitting in a certain way. Uh, it could be linked to something they do anyway. So let's say they're already playing tennis. You know, I might say, okay, I want you to try and hit it out. Really, when you serve, really go for a, for the win on the serve. What do they call it? The ace? What do they call it? when you? Uh, yeah, yeah, ace, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's like if they're playing tennis, that's kind of a fiery way to play tennis as opposed to just hitting it to the opposition and then, you know, hoping the game goes well. So it's a high-risk sort of fiery kind of way of playing tennis. Um, you know, my wife plays poker. She was talking about fiery ways of playing poker last night. You know, there's an aggressive way to play poker and there's a conservative or earthy way to play poker. And, uh, they, you know, they can be loose or tight. You can be, you know, it depends what the person's already doing. Uh, and then there's a little micro things. Oh, the other one would be the giving them to me YP poses. So the embodied yoga principles is the most condensed set of powerful embodied tools that I know of. And um, giving people these poses can be very short in terms of time, but powerful in terms of impact. So there's a warrior pose, for example, um, from classical yoga that we use. There's entering pose that we use, which is very fiery. And there's a passion pose, which is I was sort of getting you to do a scaled down version of that in the coaching. So like those three poses you could do for one minute each in the morning, which is a good little, um, it's like a, a prescription. I mean, I'm, I don't want to use medical model because it's not about fixing anyone, but it's like a little takeaway that the coachee can go, you know, like I had um, a coachee who was, uh, had problems with confidence and she was like a very small person in an office full of very big people. And she was getting sort of mansplained and talked down to a lot. And I gave her three, like taking up space poses to do in the morning, you know, and it was, it was every time I saw her in subsequent coaching sessions, she was like bigger almost, you know, mm. and it was showing up in different ways. She was saying like, wow, my kids listen to me a lot more and you know, other ways it was showing up. And this was a super busy, like board level person. And it was like three minutes a day of practice she was doing. I basically said to her, look, if, you, if you're going to work with me as a coach, you, you, the, the commitment is five minutes every morning. Are you up for that? That was part of our contracting. Mm. Just to share a little story on that, I just read it uh, yesterday. That's why I share it. But um, it, it was about this priest, and this guy came to see him and lost his faith. Mm. And instead of kind of preaching to him or, or talking to him about finding his faith, he just said, "Go away and do a hundred of these uh, full Catholic prostrations every day, and, and come back to me in in a month." And when this young guy came back, his eyes were blazing with the faith. You know, and, and these, these um, prostrations he'd been doing, which are quite intense, had, had created this whole new embodied experience and connection to his faith for him. You know, it completely transformed yeah. him in a way that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I give bowing as a practice to some of my business clients, you know, like prostrations probably a bit much. The Tibetans use that one too. But yeah, there's a, a physical accessing of something, you know, through a, through a practice on a daily basis. Um, you know, we're nearly out of time, so I'm not going to try and demo any more tools, but maybe it's worth, you know, saying other tools that exist. Uh, like, for example, working with leader follower stuff, creating mm -hmm. simulators is another thing coaches can do. Yeah. So there's, there's a, what I really want to get to is like the principles at work here. So, yes, we have tools, but if we understand the principles at work, we can develop our own. 
you know so like in terms of the idea generation there's a principle at work there and we could work with say familiarity like asking the coachee which is familiar of those four i didn't go down that road with you but that would be a way to bring self-awareness you know we could work with contrast you know we could contrast the air and the earth as a way to sort of highlight that difference and then bring again familiarity uh, we could work with deviation so where are you not doing what i'm asking right like you went into a kind of air mode when we were doing something else and it was like okay that's interesting that gives us an awareness that maybe there's a pattern there for you um and the same with centering like once you get the principle of centering it doesn't matter what technique you're using this is why i'm i'm a little bit uh what's the word like disappointed when i see people teaching by rope like this is exactly how you teach centering because it's about whatever reduces the fight flight response for the client right and if you have the skills to be able to tune in to observe them to see what's working and what isn't you're understanding that principle is more important than you know there's a leader follower form that we use which is just walking backwards and forwards with the palms touching coaches can take this one away so if you imagine just you know we're walking towards each other with our hands outstretched and we're touching palms and then we can look at boundaries we can look at leader follower we can look at any relational issue what there's a principle as well as a form so just name that principle underneath that that yeah so one principle would be like simulator principle so the body's holographic and reveals um it reveals uh, our wider patterns right. so if we create a sim let's say if someone says um oh, i feel like the weight's on my shoulders i might literally put my hands on their shoulders okay we're creating a simulator because the principle is like uh people are revealing the body is revealing and people are, um, were able to create simulators which will bring more awareness and then actually create more options for people. So centering the principle might be um, you stimulate the fight-flight response through a tissue or a grab or whatever, you know, Wendy's using or Paul's using, whatever. Uh, and then we use some kind of technique to reduce that fight-flight response. Um, so it's, there's a principle at work which means you can then be generative and creative so I, th I think this is one of the more unique features of EFC is we're not showing tools so much. We do do, do tools like some of the ones we covered, but we're more um, helping the students to become creative in their work so they can adapt it to their own cultural context, work context. Like if all you know how to do for centering is a grab, then what do you do when you're in a situation where someone says you can't touch the women? It's culturally not okay. Or what do you do when you're in a situation where there's a corporation that says no touching in this workshop? It's like you need to f figure out another way to stimulate this fight flight response. Um, you can have fun with this as well. Like one of my students was working with kids and they were using water pistols. No, I'd never thought of that, but they understood the principle of centering. So it was a hot summer's day. She was trying to teach centering to a bunch of kids. She got the water pistols out. Mm. And you know, if you get squirted in the face with a water pistol, it triggers that fight flight response. They loved it. And then it was like, okay, how to be cool while getting shot with the water pistol, you know? And in that specific summer's day kids group context, that was brilliant. So because she knew the principle of centering and not just the ABC technique, you know, like I do like fluffy bunny technique when I'm working with a five-year-old, it's a different technique. Cause it's like, but if I do fluffy bunny technique with a kick-ass executive, they're going to laugh at me. Right. Mm. So it's, can you adapt what you're doing because you understand the deep principles of what's happening, not just photocopy some teacher. Very nice. Yeah. So I wanted to end with that because it felt, felt like that's the, the two deeper parts are the being underneath with the skills. Then there's the techniques, which are great. But then there's also the fact that we're really understanding what's making those techniques work. I want to ask a couple of questions uh, as we end. And they're, they're, they're short ones. Like one is where do we find out more about your work? But before that, 
Is there anything, is there a resource or a, a book or anything you, I'm asking this a bit more these days, anything you read in the last 12 months that you just thought, wow, this is really exciting or interesting? In relation to field bit of a tim ferris type question but you know yeah, yeah yeah well i mean the body and training coaching ebook that i put out there is a sort of clearest guide to this stuff and the body yoga principle stuff so online videos and things like that if people want to look at that but in terms of something that this excited me recently i'm um, rob babea so um he is the resident teacher at guy house which is kind of like the british spirit rock for those that know insight meditation uh i've been listening to a lot of his stuff on podcasts and his books some it, I wouldn't recommend it for beginners, but if you're sort of 10 years plus into meditation, um, it's not really relevant so much to what we've been talking about today. But I'm just, just honestly, that's what is absolutely rocking my world right now. I'm really, really enjoying it. It's a radical new take on meditation. And um, yeah, in terms, in terms of body practice, there's, there's so much good stuff. I just like what rocks my world embodiment is at the moment is the community of people that I'm around. Like, just around the nicest people who are able to have conversations about difficult things all these in the news it just seems to be people shouting at each other from across mm. the political divide and that is not the case you know i've got students who are trans activists for example who have quite differences of opinion with but we're able to have some really good dialogue so i'm really enjoying that as opposed to the shouty online internet nonsense um i'm enjoying just the warmth of the EYP and EFC communities like I've just spent two weeks in Russia around students that I've been training for five years and they're mature now and they're peers now and they've developed themselves and they're they're doing their own projects with you know kids or refugees or business people or whoever and I really love seeing how they've I love mentoring them that's what I love most now like teaching the basics is cool but what I'm really enjoying is like helping people who love embodiment do stuff in the world with it. Like I've become like a business trainer. I'm like helping them with their marketing plans, which is fucking hilarious to me. And it's, um, um, so that's rocking my world. Oh, the embodiment conference. Like we just set a limit of 10,000 people for the embodiment conference, um, which is insane. Like it's, and it's freely available to everyone in the world. Mm. Like that's part of my life purpose. I can hear it in my voice and notice it in my body. There's an excitement there. Like to make, the best teachers in the world, most of them freely available to 10,000 people. That's mental. So that's, I'm very happy about, I'm slightly shitting myself at the size of it, but that's in a good way. Mm. But that is rocking my world. There's just a really nice buzz around that. So I'd say, yeah, they're the things that are exciting me. Rob's books, the EFC and EYP communities, and just the conference, like the scale it's the same with your courses, man. Like, thank you. Like you're putting stuff out. Hundreds and hundreds of people are doing your courses, mm. maybe thousands, like in a way which they couldn't afford necessarily to fly to Amsterdam or New York or, you know, California or wherever. And like that access that we're providing to people online with embodiment is just really cool how we're taking advantage of that. So for me, it's like the breadth and the depth, the breadth is the access and helping people get this stuff anywhere in the world. And the depth is like the sort of 200 people I'm training to be better than me by the time I die. Like that close community of practitioners. Mm. Nice. nice. I can feel that passion. Yeah. I can feel the fire. Just give us your website address. Last thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and enough of that passion. What's your fucking URL? 
Uh, I think it's embodiedfacilitator.com. I'm always forgetting the website. Let me bring it up. Yeah, embodiedfacilitator.com for coaches, embodied yoga principles for yogis, but embodiedfacilitator.com. There's loads of free resources. There's videos of some of the techniques we've shown. There's free eBooks on training and coaching. It's all there. So uh, take a look at that website, you know, and, uh, and you'll see some good stuff there. It's great. I love doing this with English people because... I hope it wasn't too sweary today, Joel. I'm aware that we quite got into it with the coaching a little bit. That's cool. Thank you, Mark. Just want to say, last of all, thanks very much. And um, we'll speak again sometime. Real pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Okay. Now it's time for part two of the podcast, where we explore the question, what is embodiment? And we're going to explore all things embodiment, including all the different types of embodiment schools there are, its history, and the new wave of embodiment teachings that are emerging in these times. Let's dive in. So Mark Walsh, good to be speaking to you today. I'm already excited. We've just been checking in a little bit before, the, um, before we press record, and um, I'm already feeling pretty excited. So how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I uh, had a nice early start. I did a 12-step meeting early in the morning in the dark and a little bit of meditation afterwards. I'm a little excited, a little buzzy. We're launching an online course tomorrow. And even though I, I lead a podcast myself, I host one, I'm always a little nervous when I'm a guest. So that's, that's, <laughs> I'm sort of happy, nervous, a bit buzzy from launching a course, that kind of pre-course buzz. And I'm just happy to be chatting. So I know this is going to be a good one. Mm. Well, you know, you, you just mentioned how you're feeling right now, what's going yeah. on in your body. And today we're, we're going to be talking about embodiment. Uh, you, you've got the, you're hosting the embodiment podcast and you've been in this field for, I think, 20 years now. So uh, we're going to, that's what we're going to explore today. What is embodiment? Um, how is it? Why is it important for coaches? You know, how can we begin to work with our Im- embodied life? So, um, you know, I really enjoyed listening to uh, to your podcast, um, and um, in a way, it's like, what isn't embodiment? <laughs> that's one of the things that I picked up. But yeah. that's that's where I want to start. So, like, what what for you is embodiment? Yeah. So the simplest definition is how we are. That's the three word definition, and specifically how we are in relation to the body or the aspect of the body. Um, so it's. A kind of a buzzword right now, which in the 10 years I've been working professionally and 20 years doing this has really changed. Um, like it's used a lot, for example, you'll see it tagged onto yoga things or whatever. Um, so for me, it relates to the subjective experience of the body. The body as an aspect of I and also we rather than the body as a hunk of meat, as an it. And these are different words in Greek, for example, have different roots, sarx and soma. Um, the body is an integral part of who we are as human beings rather than considering the body as a brain taxi, as my colleague Frankie says, uh, the body as an aspect of how we think, perceive, feel, relate. And of course, if we're a professional coach, parent, whatever we do um, in our lives, another way of looking at embodiment is that it's the kind of overall term for a collection of fields that are coming together really for the first time now. Um, So we've got the dance fields, including the conscious dance and the partner dance, the martial arts, uh, body work, yoga, you know, yoga, meditation, it's every one of these is huge, right? Uh, theater and body therapy slash uh, dance movement therapy. So six major fields, some Western, some Eastern that started to collide 
I mean, each one of those is a huge story. They started to collide really in the West Coast of the US in the 60s. And I think now it's really coming to an integration and a mature fruition. And there needs to be a name for that feel because the improvisers and the dancers and the martial artists are all kind of coming up with similar stuff. And um, yeah, embodiment could be a term that brings that all together. Uh, Another way of defining this, if I can go on a little bit more, would be experientially because by its nature embodiment is experiential so you know talking about embodiment is like dark dancing about architecture and i just invite anyone to listen to this you can take your arm and feel it as a thing Mm. as an it and that's okay right like if you're a doctor or you're trying to measure someone's arm or you know weigh it that's fine and another way is to go okay this arm is part of me this arm has held my niece when she was a baby and almost died Mm. you know this arm has uh, hugged my wife when we got married this arm has fought people this arm has typed interesting things at my computer this arm has been an integral part of me and my life and if you do that with another person it's even more powerful so it's subjectifying rather than objectifying Uh, i think you can have that experience of okay not only am i mindful in the body i'm mindful as a body embodiment can be uh, well is mindfulness based but goes a little bit further than that because mindfulness is like let's be aware of ourselves and some people interpret that as a sort of mind being aware of a body Mm. whereas embodiment would be being aware as a body Uh, and the other aspect of embodiment that's maybe uh, different from mindfulness would be that we develop ourselves and we can alter ourselves both in the short and long term through practice through technique rather than simply being present so it's slightly long Mm. convoluted definition i hope that's useful to listeners yeah well it, it is useful and um let's let's so you know because a lot of people when they think about embodiment think of the body and i get that that's what we're talking about in some way mm. but it's it's much more than that isn't it so um perhaps you could like flesh out some of these different aspects of embodiment. And one of the yep. things I was really, I really loved when I listened to your first podcast and you, you know, is just how many perspectives that you can look at embodiment through, but <laughs> yeah. let's stay with this kind of like subjective experience that you started to talk about. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah, maybe you could flesh that apart. Does that question make sense? Good. Flesh it out. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So another way of looking at it would be as a set of skills. Mm. So to be aware of our body would be a kind of foundational skill set. So mm. body awareness, mindfulness of the body, most mindfulness practice, mindfulness of the breath, of course, would be included in that posture. Movement, of course, not just sitting still. Um, you know, that's a basic foundational skill set. And different arts will build that skill set up. So mm. some, you know, dance might be great for movement. Yoga might be great for posture. Meditation might be great for breath. And then we also have, how do we alter ourselves? How do we influence ourselves? So like centering exercises, we can come on to, you know, more about what that is. I just wrote a hundred page book on it. So it's not necessarily an easy thing, Um, but how do we influence ourselves short and long-term? And then of course in relationship. So there's, uh, how do we empathize? How do we connect with others through the body? And then how do we influence people, whether that's leadership, whether that's inspiration, turning someone on, making someone laugh, Uh, And how do we influence others all in the sort of social, cultural and environmental context, the big bodies, the big bodies of culture and the environment. Um, So when people talk about body, again, they're often thinking of it as this hunk of meat, this kind of stick that carries the head around. If we 
think of how we draw a person in Western culture as a stick man, right? Like a big head and a little body. Um, and then not necessarily realizing that it's intimately involved. Let me put it in the coaching narrative just to connect it to listeners that, you know, how your coaches see things is massively impacted by their embodiment. Mm. And this is kind of common sense, really. We all, we all know this. We all know the world looks different when we're in a good mood or a bad mood. You know, when, when it's raining in England on a Monday morning or when I'm on holiday, and I, you know, uh, and the same thing, our embodiment is impacted by our environment. Our body, our bo- the body is history would be another way of looking at this. Mm. So a coach's embodiment, it's not just me, it's their dispositions, their way of being in the world. There's another definition of embodiment, the way of being in the world that's been set up. So even if you tell them something great or they figure something great out cognitively for themselves, they're still trapped in this uh, historical set of circumstances, which are constantly playing out in how they think, how they feel. You know, there's a body that relates dominantly in a body that relates submissively. There's a body that relates habitually in a sexualized way or habitually uh, in a playful way. And we all have these sets of habits and embodiment is about becoming aware of them because we're all, unconsciously embodied right like anyone in the street has an unconscious embodiment pattern Mm. they're not necessarily consciously embodied both in terms of being aware in the moment and being aware of those patterns that are essentially creating their life Mm. and unless you shift that you've got very little hope of shifting whatever the domain is relationships or work or you know let's say marketing something might sound very theoretical that's embodied can someone take space up and be seen so I had that embodiment when I started going out there and putting my stuff in the world. And it was like, I had no problem kind of putting my stuff out there, but I've got students who come in and they're small, you know, and the whole embodiment shrunk and I could, you know, tell them the best thing in the world on how to do an online marketing course and how to put themselves out there. And they wouldn't do it because it wouldn't feel good. Mm. Um, yeah. More jamming there. What's, what's interesting in all that? Yeah. Well, what I'm getting is that we can, um, you know, through, uh, becoming consciously aware of how we are embodied in any given moment. That's a, that's a kind of doorway or a portal into, into um, becoming aware and then creating more choice and creating change. So it's like, if I, if I read into what you're saying, it's like, you know, we've got this history and, and, um, and, and all this conditioning and it's kind of that stays with us and it's, and it's in some way shaping how we are responding and showing up, you know, to the experience we are in this moment. And there are many facets of that, that kind of, you know, like uh, cultural, societal, environmental uh, family. And, and, and that what we can begin to do is to, is to, you know, bring our conscious attention to that and therefore be, you know, start to be able to, to, yeah, you know, um, catalyze transformation. Yeah, I mean, I often joke that all I teach is awareness and choice. Mm. And like all personal growth is that really, if you look at it and take away all the kind of bullshit and the buzzwords, it's all just becoming aware of what you do, whether it's in your thinking happens, your postural patterns, your embodiment patterns, and then having some different choices. So you've actually got some freedom to respond more spontaneously in the moment, more appropriately, rather than from a kind of historical, cultural, familial disposition. Um, that's pretty much all personal growth as far as I can tell. So awareness and choice, you know, Moshe Feldenkrais, one of the mm. big names, fathers of this field. So, you know, to change something, you have to be aware of it. So it's all awareness based. And that choice piece is what maybe separates 
uh, embodiment from a field from simple sort of body awareness or, or mindfulness. Yeah. Something I, I uh, heard you say, uh, which I really grabbed hold of me, you know, in the, is that you say, if we can't feel ourselves, we can't feel others and we can't feel the planet, you know? So you talked about this kind of um, capacity to, to, be, to empathize and to feel yep. and how important that is. And, you know, looking around in the world, um, we can see, I think, the, some of the results of that disconnection from that. Yeah, that, that's not a small thing. And I, you know, very much just to credit uh, two teachers of mine, Paul Linden, who's been my main mentor and Richard Strezzi Heckler, I know you've had on who are just giants mm. in this field, the both of them, they're both excellent, really kind of inspired my thinking in this way to go, you know what, to feel is not just like a nice thing. That's the basic being in contact with myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm not human almost if I'm not, I'm essentially psychopathic if I'm not in contact with myself, because if I'm not feeling myself, that natural, I mean, empathy is an embodied response to another. Yeah. Compassion, mm. the same. So if I'm not in touch with myself, I'm not in touch with that feeling of like, like how is Joel doing today? You know, and how is whoever, you know, how is the environment I'm in? You know, is it poisoned, for example, you know, like kind of, you know, if I walk past that homeless guy earlier this morning, it's like, am I actually feeling that? Because that's the natural response. And this is one of Paul Linden's great, you know, gifts to the field is that ethics is actually built into our system. And he has different experiments on this. Like he has people um, imagine strangling a baby bunny rabbit, for example. (laughs) And if you you do that, it will create a response in in your system. The reason you laugh is you're actually, you know, very likely dispelling a certain amount of discomfort. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Well, what is that discomfort in your system? That's the fact that I just suggested, even something theoretical or jokey, something Mm. violent and unethical to kill a baby bunny. Um, So we have an embodied reaction to violence, uh, which if we numb out to, we, we stop feeling. And that's one of the ways, you know, I've seen a lot of trauma in some of the conflict areas that I've worked in or like mm. in Russia where I work quite often. And you can get these cycles of trauma and violence where people are kind of getting numb. Right. And we, you know, we essentially in the Western world, which I love Western culture in many ways, I'm going to say that up front because it gets bad mouth far too much, but there can be a kind of hyper arousal, which is like this trauma symptom of going so quick. You're not feeling, um, and you know, the inevitable result of rushing is lower ethics. So that's, that's, you know, I, I see this daily. If I get my, I, you know, I move pretty quick. I'm pretty adrenal. I'm pretty ADHD. And if I let myself get in that, uh, I just start acting in a way which is less than my higher self. Um, and I stop feeling. And the other one is numbing, right? Just being numbed out. And whole cultures can do this, you know? Like if you, you know, I work in Israel and Russia a lot, for example, and the Israelis are often hyper aroused and the Russians are often a bit numb. Not every single person, but kind of culturally, you'll see that. Um, so I feel like we live in kind of disembodied, traumatized times. And, you know, that was my story, too, if, if I may sort of say sure. where I was coming from personally was I was raised by teachers, really, you know, good parents teaching me to be smart and lots of books in the house. School was easy for me, sort of genius level IQ, 0.1%. And I thought, OK, this is what I've been told matters. I'm a smart kid. And, you know, school is all about sitting down and learning stuff, which was super easy for me. And what I hit was that I was miserable. So I was suicidal by the time I was 13. I was drug and alcohol addicted by the time I was 15. I was failing at things that really mattered. Like I couldn't pass my driving test, which is a really big deal if you live in rural Cambridgeshire and you kind of, you don't want your mum to drive you around because that's not cool. 
and I, you know, I fell massively in love at 16, had this huge embodied experience, which I had no mm. idea what it was. It was like transcend, transcendental kind of embodied experience. And I, I didn't know how to handle that. And I didn't know how to do a relationship intimately with another human being. Mm. And, you know, I ended up sort of crawling to university, just broken hearted and suicidal and uh, uh, absolutely alcoholic and just miserable. And I'm going, right. So I got to university, which is supposed to be the height of our educational system. Mm. And I'm going, okay, if I'm so smart, if I've done so well in this educational system, why do I want to die? And why am I so bad at some practical things? I, you know, I walked into an Aikido school and I just looked at it and something in my whole system was like, you need this. And I just fell in love with Aikido. Mm. And like many people that get into embodiment, you have kind of a first love, you know, and I had like this huge love affair with Aikido for years and did it full time for several years. I was able to really go deeply into it because there was no way I was getting a normal job. And, um, you know, then gradually that opened up into other things because we get the risk in any embodied practices. It becomes provincial and you get good at it and you get kind of ego boosts from that. But no one practice really covers the full spectrum so i started looking at dance and contact improv and tango and then meditation and stuff that was more emotionally involved than martial arts are uh, yeah. bodywork and different things it sort of spread from there and yeah that was the sort of birth for me of this love was really a birth from the point of view of like pain and failure in a way that just mirrors the limitations of the kind of uh, hyper cognitive mental framework that we're all in mm, yeah Wow, there's a lot in there that, that, that I could respond to. I'm just appreciative of you being candid and sharing your story like that. And one thing is, you know, you said that, that actually it's good to kind of move into different practices. And I can imagine that any embodied practice that in the beginning is, is, is opening you and sensitizing you um, can even become habituated, you know, if you're not careful, that, that yeah. maybe it becomes familiar and, and, um, that, that, yeah, you know, in that familiarity, you start to kind of close down again. So there's something good about the, getting into something different and the awkwardness of it being new and um, inviting you into new embodied movements. Uh, yeah. I mean, people can deepen their embodied neurosis through a practice by picking a practice, which, you know, it's like everyone loves the smell of their own shit, you know? Mm. It's like you pick a practice that habitually, like I'm kind of aggressive by habituation. My niece and sister and dad were, you know, we're all the same in my family, kind of Irish cultural fighty kind of thing. It's like, oh, I started doing martial arts. Well, what a surprise, you know? And then there was, but there was things in Aikido that were softer and more fluid that really challenged me and made me grow from that kind of initial kind of, um, habituation but it's possible to like deepen a neurosis you know like to become an Iyengar teacher yoga teacher who just gets really really uptight or a fire rhythms dancer mm. who just gets all over the fucking place and just chaotic yeah and you see that in these scenes when you go to different when I go to different kind of because I'm around a lot of different worlds you know because uh, I like the spectrum and you see that the, the kind of culture it develops both from select priests people selecting in but also how it deepens an existing pattern uh, and this is why, you know, I think part of the narrative, yep, first of all, I'd say if you do anything that's embodied, great. You're doing a yoga class or a dance class or a martial arts class, great. That's just on one level, I just want to say, if there's coaches out there who just aren't doing any embodied practice, just do something you like. It's no problem. You mm -hmm. know, like it's all good. It's all good. And as you're a bit more sophisticated, a bit more time in that, you might want to broaden it out 
and ask like, what body am I really building here? Is this the body I really want to build both in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it? And, you know, embodied practices are also potentially disembodying. Like I was, I was in a yoga class in London last weekend and it was so intense and so fast. I just went, you know, this, it's it hot. And I just, I couldn't feel in that way. It was just, you know, it was, it was almost an addictive, like people pushing themselves to all this sadomasochistic extreme that that's the only way they can feel and the only way they can relax, but that's perhaps not helpful. Uh, equally, mm. if you're in a, in a class where you're constantly following a teacher's instruction, now that can be really useful to build a body of discipline and put your ego out the way and surrender. But that, but that's very dangerous from the point of view of feeling because you're not following your own body. You're following a count or an instruction or the shape has to look a, a certain way. So that's most Asian form practices like yoga and martial arts that's potentially disembodying. Um, mm. so there's all these traps, you know, and pretty soon you get good at something, then you get attached to it. And it's like, you know, I can go to my keto class and I can look pretty good after 20 years, you know, mm. I can look pretty good. But if I go to a, I don't know, a jive dance class, I'm going to look bad. I mean, I'm, and like my ego is like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Do you know what I mean? Even though the jive might be the thing that I really need right now. Um, so yeah, I think there's a beginning narrative for people, which is like, look, if you coach, great, just do something with your body. I promise you it will help, you know, just do whatever you can get to, whatever you enjoy. But if you've been doing this for a while, it might be worth looking at it through a slightly more sophisticated lens. And I feel like what's different from the sixties to now is the narrative of integration is not just pluralism of it's all good, which oh, yeah, it is, that's true on one level, but it's also, how does it all fit together? You know, so we have karate people come to our courses and we're like, right, we're going to send you to salsa dance, you know, you know, with their permission and we find something like that they might like. And we have, you know, five rhythms teachers and they're kind of chaotic and all over the place and wonderful emotional expression, shit emotional containment. Like not in every case, but quite often because it's expression and containment, right? Emotionally, just to take one piece of the puzzle. So we say, right, we're going to send you to the karate class. And they do something mm. different and they build their range. And they might still be an emotionally expressive person and they still do five rhythms for the rest of their life and love it and develop it. Um, but it can really, really help to kind of round yourself out as an embodied practitioner. So I just, I'd give that encouragement to people that have maybe been doing a single art for a few years. Mm. I like that you mentioned there about an, a range, an embodied range, um, because, you know, in a way it's funny because we're talking conceptually about something which is, um, may include, include our, our thinking minds, but it's, it's also a different kind of knowingness or a different mm. kind of experience. And, um, but nevertheless, that's what we're doing. And we're pointing out things to people listening, but this idea of this range, you know, from containment to expression. And, um, and I, I, you know, I want to, I want to kind of pivot in a while to, to, to say, well, how does this work for coaches? You know, like, um, yeah, but, yeah. but before we do that, I, I'm just like loving being in this space of like, you know, fleshing out what embodiment is. And, mm. you know, I get this sense that, um, that part of this is, is like there, there are all these, um, I don't even know what to call them, like embodied experiences, which are submerged, you know, or, or, or um, there's, there's too much noise perhaps that's drowning them out. And that as we are able to make these distinctions, you know, or have these experiences yeah. like either do karate or do, yep. do the dance that then we're bringing ourselves into a different kind of embodied field 
that then opens up our system to the kind of, you know, the kind of embodiment that's, that's contained within that field, you know, that's got a different feel to it. And, and then suddenly we, that we have that within, you know, that's suddenly that's, that's becoming more and more something that we have access to. Yeah. I mean, one way to look at this, you can think of embodiment in terms of two time frames. you know, emotion is just kind of, we can become more emotionally skilled at noticing and managing our and expressing our emotions. And that's like a short term time frame that we will feel. But then there's a longer term time frame, which is our habitual embodiment, which is sort of like the taste of your own mouth or mm. I often give the example of really comfortable underpants that yeah. you just don't notice you you know, if you're listening to this now, are you noticing your socks or your underpants? Probably not. If they're comfortable. I am now. You are now, you are, yeah, it's quite like a couple of, I've been teaching that for years and one of the, sometimes I sort of pull out the tops of my underwear and one day I'll be not wearing any and it'll be embarrassing, but it hasn't happened yet. But um, yeah, so you get to get used to your embodiment and there's different ways to reveal it. You know, so one way, for example, is form practice because you, you take a form and it's not what you normally do. So you feel weird. And it feels uncomfortable, right? That's one way of revealing habitual embodiment is like embodied yoga principles practice. We have shapes and we get people to make shape for generosity or for authority or taking up space. Or, I'll, you know, I'll use ones people might be aware of like warrior two, like as a classic warrior posture from yoga. And some people just hate it straight away. So there's a subjective feeling and some people they'll do it and then they'll slip back into their habitual embodiment, like being on the back leg, not the front leg or having the arms open or closed when we you know, and it's like their brains work and their eyes work. So why do they keep deviating from the form? Well, you can put that out and instead of saying you're bad and wrong, do it the proper way. You say, Oh, look, that's interesting. Look what you just did there. Or you can try four different variations. Like we use a four elements model and we'll say, right, do this uh, sun salutation or Aikido move or whatever in four different ways. And we'll sort of describe four elements. It could be seven elements, doesn't matter. And say, okay, which of those is familiar? I'll do that with business people. You know, like which of these is familiar? Is that your way of being? Maybe that's a data point. You know, it could just be today. Could be the mood you're in. It could be everyone in this culture. You know, there's different, it could be the environment we're in. You know, if we're doing it on top of a mountain, it's different from an underground cellar. Um, however, it could be your personality. So there are, and a third way would be like feedback, like you know, as a coach pointing things out uh, or showing people, you know, we get people to walk around the room as a partner, like mimic a partner or stand mm -hmm. like a partner or sit like a partner or um, talk like a partner. Oh, that know? could get painful, couldn't it? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> pretty revealing. It's like, you know, we both do podcasts and I don't know about you, but the first time I heard my own voice, I was mm. pretty upset. You know, I kind of thought I was British Harrison Ford. You know? <laughs> I kind of thought it sounded cool. And then I heard the podcast and I was like, oh my God. But that gap between perception and reality is, is the gap of awareness, right? And it's, mm. even though it can be a bit painful to open that up in a way which is respectful and resourced and, you know, for not for the sake of mocking anyone, um, with having people walk around the room as each other, you know, and, and then you say, and then you get your partner, you say, well, how was it? You know, the first time I did that with someone, my partner, I looked at myself, I was like, Oh my God, he's so cocky. And you know, that is one of my character flaws. And I asked her, how was it to be me? And this, you know, tall German lady, completely physically very different. So not, you know, the body isn't the important thing it's the embodied. She's like, Oh, I felt like I could do anything. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know you can right <laughs> and to her that was an entirely right. new idea that you could just do what you wanted right. and you know i've had that idea in my bones since i was a kid you know you can psychoanalyze why but that's not really important more important is where does that serve me and where does that limit me so it serves me that set the embodiment of like hey i can do anything forwards waiting 
putting myself out there it serves me and i can do loads in the world and get loads done and I, i'm not afraid to you know put stuff on youtube or whatever and it doesn't serve me when i get too cocky and i might need to like rest back and listen so there's another practice another embodiment either in like a short-term state shift i could you know slow down my voice and just lean back into my chair right now uh, or as a long-term practice like i do a lot of kind of slower kind of more yin type yoga because mm. that's what i need you know i don't need more kind of fast aggressive forward weighted yoga yeah um, i mean anyone listening to this i love to involve people in a podcast because it's it's this weird situation where we're talking to each other and i want to be genuine and talk with you but we're also aware there's thousands of people listening right mm. and like anyone listening to this like how are you sitting standing or walking you're probably in one of those three postures more or less maybe lying down like what is that a body for just look at it you know you could exaggerate it a little bit you know, like exaggeration and contrast, one of Wendy Palmer's things, really nice way to, again, reveal the habitual. So like, what is that a body for that you're in? You know, like, is it, you know, for alertness? Is it for rest? And that could be cool, right? There's no like one way to sit or stand, but is it serving you right now? And you look at someone else, if you're like, I don't know, sitting on the subway in New York or walking through the streets of London, walk a bit like someone else, you know, don't do Monty Python ministry of silly walks or don't impersonate them so much. You, you know, they get to think you're mocking them and you get, you know, get into a fight, but just take on a little of the flavor. Like I could get a little bit more jolly. You could get a little yeah. bit more marky, you know, and you could try that as an experiment. Like right now is just standing, sitting, walking and, and, you know, notice your own patterns, then try someone else's. And that opens up new possibilities, right? Cause that's what an embodiment is. It's, it's a set of possibilities Mm. And maybe this segues into the coaching conversation that, you know, as, as a coach, I think one of the main things we do is try and help people see things differently, have new ideas and, and open up new possibilities. And for me, like the body is just one of the quickest ways to do that. Right. It's just, it, you know, I can say t I can be walking with a coachee and just start walking a bit faster and all of a sudden their thinking change. You know, or I can say, hey, look up at the trees. Okay, now open your arms a little bit, relax your jaw, relax your peripheral vision. And all of a sudden they start seeing things differently, yeah. you know? And that's so much quicker than trying to kind of um, convince someone. You know, I feel like the power of the body, like when I work in corporates, they want to know like, okay, you're doing this weird shit with the body. They don't quite understand it. And they'll say, but why? And I'll say, well, because it works, you know, because you can go deep quickly. And the second piece is you can help it stick. Right. That's what I've noticed when working with the body with clients is it, it, they get almost this like imprint. It's like, oh, yeah. and it and it's it sticks. They remember it. I mean, mm. so just to, I mean, we're, I like where we are right now. And I noticed as you were saying, hey, how how are you showing up right now? And I was like, I noticed. I was like, mm, uh, and and like, oh, and I can feel this, and I'm laughing, and I I am quite agreeable, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways. That's <laughs> one of the. And, pros and um, cons, right? There's pros and yeah, cons. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm like, okay. I've, and I feel this sense of like excitement and curiosity. And, and I'm like, oh, okay. But this, that's pretty cool right now because that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I want to be with Mark, you know? But yeah, like you're forwards with curiosity, but you're wanting to engage with me, right? And that feels totally cool. But as an interviewer, yeah. if you were like forwards and closed and like defensive, like maybe that's not so helpful right now. But well, yeah. Maybe I mean, there's other times when it would be. Yeah. Because so if I was interviewing a politician. Yeah maybe this wouldn't be good right now. Maybe I'd need to be more like pinning them down or is it this or that, or you're avoiding the question or something. So, but yeah, so, so coming back to why this is so important in, in coaching, you know, embodiment in coaching. So 
um, you've just been beautifully describing how, you know, you, people can start to play with their embodiment and make shifts. Let, say you're sat in front of somebody, yep. you know, you're stood in front of somebody. Um, tell me what you're looking for. Like when you're, you know, you're making these assessments, um, mm. you know, cause I, I think that would be useful for coaches listening, you know, that maybe they want to bring this in. We're going to go more and more can into I that take now. Take a step back. Can we map yeah. out the territory of how embodiment might be useful for coaches just to sort of, cause I'm, go ahead. I'm, if yeah. I'm good at anything, it's kind of clarity and systems, you know, and, and, yeah. And in terms of like why a coach might be interested in embodiment, we could go back to that embodied intelligence model, right? And go, yeah. okay, so four basic things like Daniel Goleman's model of emotional intelligence, which is basically a subset of embodied intelligence, is would be to look at, okay, the coach's self-awareness. Like, is the coach aware? Because, you know, you, there's a natural mirroring that might happen and you'll notice that tension in your gut or an opening when the client says something. Also, are you aware of what you're, how you're influencing as a coach? You know, there's this humanistic idea in coaching that we're just not influencing people, which is, is bullshit. I mean, that's just not possible. Mm. It's not possible not to influence if you've got a body. I mean, even if you're doing phone coaching, because the breath's really powerful influencer. Um, mm. And then it's like, okay, how do I want to be right now as a coach? Just do I need to regulate myself? Let's say I had a really stressful call and I'm on to the next one. And I want to do a bit of centering or maybe I want to wake myself up or add a bit of lightness because I'm getting heavy because of the weather or because I you know, just got divorced or whatever it is, you know? And it's like, so this influencing yourself as a coach short term and then long term, how am I developing myself as a coach? And I have a real bugbear for people that do embodied coaching and don't have a practice. Like, and I'm not snobby about what that practice is, but I would, I would say if you're kind of putting it out there that you work with embodiment, have a regular practice, whether it's yoga or dance or martial arts or, you know, improv comedy, you know, have some kind of regular embodied practice. This is not, you know, it's like, otherwise it's just virgins talking about sex. You know, it's like, you need that long-term practice and you might be new to embodiment as a coach and be like, you know what, I'm just starting yoga or whatever. That's cool. But make that a long-term commitment. If mm. you want to, you know, have the body as part of what you do, certainly if it's in your, your kind of professional offer, your kind of external facing side of it. Uh, and then we have empathy, right? So you're asked, you are the list. So we've moved from self, self-awareness, self-regulation, choice and awareness and choice. Now we've moved to the other side of things. Um, so we coachees, part of it is just feeling, you know, it's feeling my own body as I'm in relationship and going, okay, I just get a felt sense right now that you're really engaged, which is great. So, you know, I don't, I don't need to try and engage you with a funny joke or, you know, by asking or whatever, you know, um, so there's that empathic resonance with the coachee, which is also dangerous. Like we also want to inhibit that sometimes if the coachee's fucked up, I don't want to be, you know, going so deep into their say grief that I can't help, help them or support them. Like with mm -hmm. therapists, this is a really big deal that you're not drowning in the other's embodiment. And, you know, like for example, I spent 10 days around 25 traumatized Sierra Leonean soldiers and I was using every embodied trick in the book, not to just not take on their trauma. Uh, and it wasn't successful after 10 days. And that was my fault for going too long without break. But it was like, that was a real challenge. And it's something you can definitely uh, support. Like, do, do I want to taste this person right now? Do I want to kind of blend and become more like them? Uh, or do I want to actually hold that at a little bit of distance, you know, maybe touch it, taste it, but not totally go there. And how do I want to influence them? And that can be direct or indirect, right? So it can be, um, if you are embodied, you're influencing. So that's the first point of call as a coach is what you're doing with your own body. And of course your voice, you know, it's like if I'm teaching a group, it's like, do I 
put my voice down or do I put it up? You know, it's like, uh, or directly can be, for example, I might, I don't know, less yesterday I was with a group and I just got them to stand up and go outside because I could see they're all sort of sluggish after lunch. A very simple thing. Other times I get them to, you know, do high fives at sting and they're like, ow, and they wake up. Other times we'll use, ah, you know, movements to soften everyone and relax. As a facilitator, you're constantly looking at that. Are they kind of needing to relax or are they needing to wake up? That's a real simple one. How do I use humor? Uh, how do I use my sexuality? You know, as ethical use of that. Like these are all things that are part of the play. Uh, but to come back to your question, um, you can do it empathically listening to others, but you can also just look and have certain models. So, you know, how someone knocks on the door of your office is going to say a lot. Like, let's say they're coming to their first coaching session. Is it like, or is it like, that's real different. All right. Like no one tells you how to knock. So that's how do they shake hands? And again, not so much body language, but getting a felt sense of it. Right. I was, I was interviewing someone recently and I could just hear in their breath, they were depressed and there yeah. was nothing they were saying, but it was like a, it was like a really heavy out breath. There's a breathing pattern for all the emotions. Mm-hmm. And I just heard that. And afterwards, cause this is someone I care about and I was interviewing them and afterwards. I just stopped recording. I said, are you okay? You know? And she's, she's like, yeah, actually, I'm really going through this relationship problem right now. We had, a, you know, offered us some support. And that was just knowing that there's a certain breath that's associated with depression. And you would not have seen it from her. She was pretty perky in the interview, you know. Mm-hmm. It was um, like that. And that, again, that's from certain models like Dylan Newcomb. He has something called Uzazu. He has these mm-hmm. beautiful models of sounds and body movements. And he'll, mm-hmm. for example, he'll talk about Ooh, uh, versus oh, and you, you'll hear that in people's uh, voice, and you hear it in their embodiment. It's cultural as well, you know. Is it the French are often a little more ooh, you know? In French, it is about the precision, it is about the quality of pleasure, you know. And then there's the oh, which is like you know, Mama got a lot of love for you, <laughs> like quantity of pleasure. Now I can see the sort of uh, complaints coming in about cultural stereotyping at this point. But cultures are embodiments, essentially. And, and while not everyone is the same in a culture, there's, there's a broad cultural brushstroke. Mm-hmm. Working in so many countries, I, I see cultural embodiments. They're real. You know, it's, it's one thing I think the Americans underestimate here in this field because it's, it's a, ten, the American culture is a very individualized culture and a, a culture which stresses um, the melting pot. Mm. You know, we're all the same universe, particularly that sort of baby boomer values of we're all the same we're yeah. all human beings. And that's great. And there's beauty in that, but then they maybe miss out on some of the cultural stuff. Like where you are in Amsterdam, you can be in a different country, three different countries in, in what two hours on the train. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. there's my ramblings. Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. Um, I want to, uh, pick up on let's like, let's teasing apart, like say, you know, um, somebody's come in and they work, mm. you want, they want to work with you. Um, so you talked about these in a way, what you're talking about is these kind of signs or, or like doorways into, into their embodiment, like the sound of their voice or the mm. way they shake hands or, yeah. um, you know, I, I like the spine uh, or the feet, there's a lot, you know, introverts tend to put the feet together. Experts, there's little symbols that you can look for, but the right. most important one is to be in your own body, to have your own embodiment as a coach. Like I, right. I, tips isn't the most helpful way to go. Like, you know, we have a year long course where we teach coaches and half of that is just working on their own embodiment. Like that's right. by far the most helpful part. 
Well, I think that's what I was talking about earlier is that if we sensitize ourselves and, um, you know, become more embodied and and more, we can attune ourselves to the client that we're with and we can kind of feel them, you know, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. We can feel, are they congruent with what they're saying, you know, or um, does it feel truly authentic or, or are they, are they shrunken, you know, like, are they, are they kind of disappearing back or are they, you know, so you can start to yeah. kind of feel those different embodied expressions and are they, is that supporting them to then live into what's most important to them? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like if you've been, have a range yourself, you can feel a greater range, be aware of a greater range, not judge a greater range, uh, pick it, pick up on it quicker. Mm. You know? um, and, and some models help, you know, like for example, the anyway, PD and body yoga, we have 24 main postures and that gives you kind of a map. And after a while you see them in art and sculpture and you see them in different personalities. And we have one for taking up space and one for privacy, which kind of polarizes with it. Dylan's got a great model for that. Uh, Strozer uses length, width and depth. We have a version of that, like six directions, you know, someone forwards or back. Okay. Someone up or down, you know, like there's the people who are up in the air and, and then like the cultures that are up in the air. And then there's the people who are down and the cultures. Mm that are down and there's the people that are big and there's the people that are much more small and narrow and there's the people that are forwards and there's the people who are back you know and the cultures that are back japan ethiopia you know the culture that are forward brazil the united states you know the netherlands where you are has a very particular embodiment you know like for example in the netherlands the only country in the world where the women generally stand with the feet wider than the hips mm. and we could look ah. at you know we could look at you know and sweden a little bit um, and you know, pretty much if I see a woman standing with feet wider than hip width apart, like chances are she's Dutch or in perhaps a position of kind of authority and power. Cause it relates to, you know, power posing, taking up space. Uh, it relates to kind of narratives around feminism and culture. It relates to all sorts of things, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can teach someone to take up space and we can equally teach someone like myself who habitually takes space to, um, you know, come in a little bit more. So, so, um, so just following through on this process, so say we're with somebody, uh, we've seen something, a way they're showing up in, mm. in their embodiment and we are able to articulate that back to them, you know, like to say, Hey, I've noticed this. You're like, screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, of course you can do that in a way which where you have permission and there's, there's empathy. Sure. And, and, and so suddenly they're probably, they're, they're kind of like, mm, Oh, wow you're creating a new distinction for that person. Yeah. 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 Like, like, I mean, building awareness is one of the main, you know, even ICF core competencies, right? That's like one of the main things we do as coaches. And I tend not to tell people stuff because they, you know, like any coaching, it's best if they work it out for themselves. So I might get them to stand in two ways and say, which is familiar. Could be as simple Mm. as that. Um, Sometimes I could say, Oh, look at how you're sitting. Do you want to try sitting in a different way? For example, you know, give them something simple to do like that. And then they have this awareness and they go, okay, maybe that is something I tend to do as a habit. And maybe it helps me some places and not others, you know, and, and, and even real simple, it doesn't have to be like advanced stuff with, with coaching, just pointing awareness to the body, using your own body. Um, and then, you know, helping them build some range of possibilities. Right. That, that's the kind of key thing there. And it might be in the short term, like a centering practice, just, you know, coming back to, breathing with the belly, you know, simple centering practices are often very powerful. You know, some of the things that people remember years after a course, um, you know, just centering alone will change your life. Just as well, maybe give us a sense, 
Could you tell us what centering is? I know I, I make because I yeah. know different centering practices and yeah. I make that assumption that everybody else knows, but could you? Sure, sure. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, so normally it's really badly defined. So I do appreciate the chance to do that. So centering could refer to techniques which involve focusing on the physical center of the body. That's specific. More generally, it usually refers to some form of state management technique. So it could just be a jargon for any kind of state management technique, self-regulation technique, um, specifically in relation to reducing the fight, flight, freeze, fold response. So people do use it slightly differently. As I said, I just wrote an ebook on this, so it can be more in depth. And usually it's about regulating the fight flight response. We could also talk about the grasping response, which is the contractive response to what we like rather than what we don't like. So uh, fight flight would be like, I'm scared, I'm angry. You know, there's usually a contraction of the body and the breath and a, usually a tightening, a twisting or collapsing of the posture. So all centering techniques essentially undo that. So centering techniques involve, if, if fight flight involves disassociation, most centering involves feeling, mm. mindfulness, feeling the body. You can all do that now. If most uh, dysregulation involves a twisting or tightening of the body, an unbalancing of the body, then most centering involves balancing the posture. And it might be how you sit, how you stand, also balancing your awareness in a field around you, uh, being aware that you're in a room with four walls, a floor and a ceiling, for example, uh, intention, a little trickier to teach quickly, but that feeling of reaching out in all directions, uh, visualization, like imagining you're a star or a glowworm or a light bulb could help with that. Mm. Um, and engaging the pro-social system. So fight flight is incompatible with our kind of pro-social system. So we might want to, for example, uh, think of someone we like, think of someone who makes us smile. Uh, it's a classic one from Paul Linden. And Again, I go into that sort of slightly more loving, open, relaxed state, which is usually more relaxed, more open, more balanced, uh, relaxed without being collapsed. Um, so there's different ways to do that, some of which could be very quick, you know, feel the body, balance your posture, breathe with your belly, and mm -hmm. some of which might be, and the beauty of the quick ones, of course, is we can do them on the run to regulate ourselves, do them in a meeting without people noticing. We don't have to go off and do an hour of yoga or meditation. You know, that's the beauty of centering. And I really fine-tuned I've been teaching that to coaches for 10 years, centering. We've really fine-tuned it because it's, it's often done pretty badly, pretty woolly. And there's some ways of doing it where we really look at principles of consent and calibration particularly. Uh, so, for example, a lot of people are working with grabs as a way of teaching centering. And that's, that's a really bad idea if someone has a, you know, an abuse history and someone grabbed them and assaulted them. Mm. You know? So the, we work with sort of very gentle ways and then work our way up by calibrating it and then take it in from usually using stimuli like throwing tissues, really gentle things. Uh, tissues are Kleenex for American. And, um, and then moving it into some more practical things like getting people to give each other feedback or... Uh, business situations or you know working as a, uh, creating simulators where you're working with difficult clients someone has or whatever it is and there's a real art to it so um yeah maybe that's enough for a beginning yeah cool cool now i just wanted to make sure people knew what we were talking about there it's a good quick um, win centering, i would say yeah. as a coach or any kind of trainer yeah so um just i i've got a bit more time um how would you des how do you go about designing practices for people um you know we, you actually shared that you, that that's um before we started speaking that a, 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 a desire of yours is to live in community and be in contact with people regularly and, and be able to work intimately with their embodied life um so so 
Yeah. How do you go about like giving somebody a practice or tuning mm -hmm. up a practice for somebody so it creates the kind of shift that helps them thrive in the projects they're in? Yeah. And the first key question is, what are you trying to build? That's always what I go back to. Like when I working with coaches and you know, they say, Oh, I'm thinking about doing Aikido because someone else did Aikido or maybe I like this. I say, okay, slow down. What are you trying to build? Like what's the body you're trying to build? You know, is it sensitivity or lightness or strength or whatever? So starting there. Um, and then it's got to fit their lifestyle. Like with some of my business clients, it might be like one embodied yoga practice, one posture for three minutes in the morning. You know, one minute, even three postures for one minute. So I was working with a lady from uh, uh, Ikea and I gave her three postures around confidence and expansiveness to practice in the morning for a minute because she's a super busy person. You know, like one minute was three minutes, one minute each was good. Sometimes it's like, okay, you're walking to work. Okay, try walking a bit more openly. You know, it's real accessible practice. Um, I'd say if you're a professional in this field, you want more of what I call a macro practice. So something like a yoga class, an Aikido class. Mm. And there's two big variables here. It's what you do and it's how you do it. So let's say you're trying to build a body of, say, I don't know, discipline and rigor. So you go to karate, but it's also how you do that. I mean, do you turn up late? You know, what's the teacher like? Uh, do you uh, kind of do it in your own way? Or, you know, a funny example I sometimes give is I was doing meta meditation, which is kindness meditation in a really violent way. You know, it was like, I'm going to sit down and do my meta whether I like it or not, you know? And it was, it's just all like someone's trying to build discipline. They're doing the practice at a different time of day every day, just all over the place for a different length of time every time, you know? Right. So it's what you do and how you do it. And these can be really, and again, there's a huge art to this. So I, this is just the beginning, but there's the, the micro things that often I work with business people. The EYP postures are good because they're really condensed and very powerful and you can do them for a short space of time. That's one reason I, cause they're archetypal. That's why I came up with those. Mm. Dylan's are great too. Um, and then there's the sort of bigger things like Aikido or dance, salsa or improv. Uh, and they're pretty inefficient as embodiment practices, but if you do them, um, you know, with a certain intention in a certain community, the key thing is what are you trying to build and having community of support around that is massive. That is the thing I've seen mostly missing in modern personal growth. And I'm really longing to create a center in London where there's like regular community. We have it a little bit on EFC with our training, training course, because you see people over time, they all say the best thing was the community. Mm. You know, they don't say the best thing was the teacher or the techniques. So that's all, you know, it's all good but they say it's, it, and we have different approaches. So they learn from different points of view, which I th feel like the old school way of doing it in the sort of past generation was like one guru tells you how to do embodiment. Mm. And that guru always had a certain background. Now, some people have a broad background, though very few have all kind of six of the major areas. And they were saying, you have to do embodiment this way. And what we've tried to do is more principles based where you learn principles through multiple influences and the deep principles that go through all of them, that feels like the more modern integrated approach. Right. Yeah. Rather than you've got to copy the guru because that just inevitably just doesn't work in the Western world it leads to abuse and you just become bad photocopies of the teacher. Well, I was going to say, yeah, you're not, you're not actually, you know, you, the danger is you're not actually kind of getting into the depth of mm. what those, the, the, the embodiment is, you know, you're kind of copying in some way and, and it's, um, yeah, less effective. Yeah, less effective. And, I, you know, I love, I love it with students are creative and generative. So it's like EYP teachers, one of them is doing embodied yoga parenting. Now, I'm not a parent, so I can't do that. But they've taken what they knew about parenting, combined it with embodiment. 
You know, someone else is doing it with climbers. Someone else is doing it with social workers. And they're designing the embodiment practices for that group based on what they know. And they do it in their own way. It's why I nearly always co-teach. Like I'm a pretty yang guy and I nearly always co-teach with someone way more yin. Because I don't want, you know, we had some Russian students come over to England and they trained on the teacher training with all these different um, teachers. And they were like, oh, this is so good because we thought we had to be like Mark. Mm. And it's like, no, you're a shy, introverted Russian 25-year-old. Like there's so many differences between us. It's not true. You're going to do it your way. So this is why having different teachers. And again, not just pluralism, not just saying everything goes because there are some really bad ways to teach embodiment. Like most of the language that... Californians, for example, teach embodiment is it's just terrible instructions, just really unclear, non-operational instructions. So that's a standard of quality I would have. Uh, and equally, you know, if a teacher doesn't have their own embodiment background, that's one to ask about. If, if you're looking for an embodiment teacher, the question is, what do you have 10,000 hours of practice in? Mm. Uh, and mm. someone like Paul Linden or Strazy or Dylan Newcomb is going to be able to answer that probably multiple ways. And, you know, that's the kind of one of the main quality tests. But there's other things like language use or skill in applying it in a kind of business way rather than a more alternative way. Um, but I love it when students take from these different teachers, they get these different principles and, and kind of quality things, and then they create their own way of doing it for their own cultural environment, you know, uh, their own, according to their own beliefs. That's what excites me about the sort of modern embodiment world, as opposed to the sort of guru system, which I think is on the way out. Well, well, it feels integrated but it also feels like you're bringing it into everyday life. You know, you're, you're empowered to bring it in to your everyday life, which is what embodiment is about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what really, that's what I'm really, my learning edge now, we're just talking about this before we recorded, weren't we? That like I've taught embodiment for a while, you know, I've done the extreme things, you know, the war zones, the martial arts, the extreme sports. And what is really exciting me now, it's, it's hard to express because it sounds so unexciting. Um, it's just daily life stuff. Like, we all have blind spots. Mine was um, food for a long time. And I was just eating in a really uh, way that just wasn't conscious as what I was eating, why I was eating it, not realizing I was eating because I was tired or emotional. And, you know, my wife would just go, are you even hungry now? And I'd be eating a bowl of cereal at 10 o'clock at night, mm. an hour after I just eaten a huge meal. And I'd be like, no, I'm actually just a bit lonely. Maybe I should chat to you instead. You know, like really looking and there's a whole body of work around food. Charles Eisenstein stuff's great on that. Mm. Um, there's a whole no diet movement, which is about tuning into the body. Some of my students are really into this. Um, so I've been learning about food and it's almost embarrassing as an embodiment teacher, but we all have blind spots. Like I've got a colleague and she just really finds it difficult to uh, be like sexually intimate, you know, mm. and I've got, um, let's just think money. Oh my God. The, the amount of people in the alternative sex that have a kind of embodied blind spot around money. And as soon as they pick up money, they go into snatching in their embodiment or they're kind of pushing it away in their embodiment. So we all have these blind spots in daily life, like intimacy, money, food, rest, you know, just trying not to brutalize myself. I love this stuff and I really want to put it out in the world. So thank you for your podcast. You're another person that's really putting it out there. But that passion, that purpose is dangerous as hell. Mm. People don't talk about the dangers of purpose. I've done a lot of coaching on purpose. And it's putting stuff out there to a degree where I can abuse myself and not rest. And that's like my practice right now. It's so embarrassing, but so interesting to me. And it's hard to express why it's interesting because it sounds so simple. It's like resting when I'm tired 
and eating when I'm hungry. Like it's a sort of Taoist simplicity on the other side of complexity. And, mm. and that's quite different having done all the other, you know, embodied practices. And I still go to yoga every day and I keto once a week and dance once a week and, you know, like put in a good 15, 20 hours of sort of formal embodied practice a week. But I'm more interested right now on like, how am I when I'm just sitting chilling with my wife? You know, like, how am I, like, at dinner, am I full? I mean, like, couldn't be more simple. And someone else, that might not be their challenge. Their, their challenge might be, you know, around another daily life aspect. And it feels to me like we have, as you working embodiment, you grow in these practices and you build range in practices, but you also integrate it into more and more life. You know, like, are you embodied when you're on Facebook? Mm. you know again that that wasn't around in the sort of 1960s sort of style stuff like being embodied online is something i've been quite fascinated with um yeah so that's my my kind of edge right now mm. well i think a couple of things come up for me there that there's like a maturity in that you know i don't know in my own i see some similarities i mean i'm not mm. um you know an embodiment expert like you are and by any means but it's a passion of mine in some ways and um what I see is how, um, as I grow, like the, um, some of the things that I used to get a lot of energy from and put my focus on, mm. it's like in some way I've integrated those and in some ways I've seen through some of the, um, some of the false drives that were like making me do those things. And, and there's a growing, um, there's a growing, interest in just being content or being present in everyday life you know in everyday experiences and that doesn't mean that i don't do purpose work and that i don't uh, mm -hmm. go on all those adventures but it's like it's getting balanced out with with just a kind of appreciation and um, and a kind of simplicity of just being here right now enjoying if i can't enjoy sitting here right now you know, what's the point in also going out and doing all these crazy things, which give yeah. me a lot of, so yeah. I don't know if that if making much no, sense. No, it sounds there, like but. a similar journey, sort of simplicity on the other side of complexity and, you know, ox herding pictures, there's some parallels here. And, you know, Just, them, yeah. Yeah. Well, one more thing. Uh, yeah. I'll say it quickly is, is, is about what I'm getting is like the importance of, um, or the, the fruits of doing the work. You know, that, that like, I think um, there's so many fruits to doing this embodiment work that start to permeate in your life in all these different places and show up those blind spots <laughs> and show up the ways in which, where, in some ways, there's a lot, there can be suffering, unconscious suffering, and, and, and how embodiment can then enable you to meet that in a way that, that kind of transmutes or integrates that suffering and, and allows you to live a kind of more kind of f fuller happier life in a, in a simple way so so that's something else that comes up for me is like the encouragement to listeners to 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 do embodied practices because of the fruits that they will bear yeah it's not a waste of time i mean i, I really can confidently because i've seen it with so many coaches say look just do anything with your body regularly in a kind of mindful way it will help your coaching you know, I don't know a single coach that hasn't found that, that, you know, that we've worked with. Um, and it also it's showing up in other areas of your life. It's kind of funny. I remember one coach I was working with, she was doing a very earthy kind of practice about discipline and being organized because she was kind of all over the place. 
And uh, she said one day she was after a couple of months of practice, which is usually how long it takes to really kick in. State change is immediate, but practice takes a couple of time is that she was chopping carrots and she realized like the distance between each chop of her knife was exactly the same. And it like totally freaked her out that it was showing up in this way. Now that's not a kind of necessarily a useful way. We also hear about, you know, people's, someone comes in and they just whisper in my ear, my wife likes this course. And he was saying, you know, I don't quite know what the situation was, but something he was doing differently, his wife was very happy about, you know, right. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to know the details, but I'm, you know, and I wasn't explicitly teaching any kind of sexual tantra or anything like that. It was just obviously showing up in that domain mm. and, you know, or parenting, which I'm not trying to teach parenting as a non-parent, yeah. but every single time parents are like, wow, I managed to get my kids to bed, you know, like for the first time a week on time or whatever it is. So it's, it's beautiful to see it show up in those, in those ordinary ways. And um, I think coming back to the ordinariness of embodiment, while simultaneously having a rigorous practice and also having some standards around that. I feel like standards come back in as we look at an integral embodiment practice or an embodiment, so I call it a second wave embodiment practice, which is kind of really my generations that are coming through now. It's like a slightly different um, flavor with slightly more cultural appreciation with slightly more in terms of standards, slightly more kind of rigor in terms of how things are done, but as well as, you know, just, being easy and free flowing and it's also good right like people are out there who are coaches bring the body in some small way into your practice don't be scared of it you know like like even just saying to a client like hey do you notice what you're doing with your body when when you say that and like just bringing that inquiry in so um yeah i hope that's useful for people feels like a good place to bring this to a close and i i know our time's getting uh close anyway i know you've got something up i'm gonna be running to yoga again the irony of which never, <laughs> never uh, ceases to amaze me um so so just get, but before you go like where can we find out more about what you do yes yeah, so loads of free stuff on youtube millions of uh, hits there so people you know, put anything to youtube about coaching and embodiment it'll come up um the embodied facilitator course is our, is our main offer for coaches who really want to like professionally go into this um, if people just want a few little tools or they're yogis and um, embodied yoga principles and you can find, you know, Google those things, they'll come up. Um, social media, not for the faint hearted, but if you want to play in the, in that domain, then, um, come and come to the riot of my Facebook. You know, that's, that's, that's quite lively. Um, so yeah, I think they're the, there's other things we have off oh, the podcast, the embodiment podcast. Mm. Um, yeah, I listen to your podcast a lot. I think if people like yours are probably like, they'll probably like that. Mm. And we've, we've done about 55 episodes now. It's all different. I try and bring all different kinds of embodiment teachers from all over the world on. Um, so there's that. But EFC, the Embodiment Facility Course, that's really the main one if people are, are coaches and they want to kind of get deeply in this. But there's so much free stuff online. There's eBooks on centering. There's so many free, free stuff online. I've always believed in um, sort of generosity marketing, like mm. just really just putting stuff out there. And if people like it, then maybe they'll come and develop stuff more. Maybe I'll never see them. That's cool, you know. Uh, I do courses all over the world as well, but there's so much good stuff online. And just take a look and see if it's your cup of tea. Mm, nice. Thanks, Mark. Well, real pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much for, for just sort of thank you on behalf of the embodiment community for putting this stuff out there. The great mm. thing about working with coaches is they influence all these other people, you know? No. So um, it's super cool what you've been doing, putting it out there. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Too. Well, we've covered a lot of rich, rich material today. So uh, thanks for sharing so generously. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Joel. I'll, I'll see you in Amsterdam soon. Yeah. All right. Hello, it's me again. And you just made it through two hours of podcasts. So well done to you. You have 
dedication. I just want to say again, if you feel inspired uh, to share this podcast or any others, I'd love that. I want to get the word out to as many coaches as possible. Or you could even leave a review on iTunes or you could even reach out and suggest new podcast guests. You can find more of our podcasts at coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts.